Hello and welcome to the Back Page Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how are those January blues treating you? Were you shocked by the amount of Velvetizer feedback you got from the episode last week? I was surprised of all the things that happened in that episode. That's what people uh, zoomed in on. The funny thing is, we did get good feedback for that episode, but there was a point in the middle of last week where I said to you, Matthew, I think this might be the worst episode we've ever done. And... Yet, the listeners did not mind. That completely shows <laughs> I, I am out of touch with what the listeners actually want, so that's good. Reassuring. So, yes, this week, though, is a Now Playing, uh, so that's fun. And uh, Now Playing, it's not called a Now Playing, what we've been playing, sorry. Now Playing is the old PC gamer format. I've uh, got big, um, big mid-January uh, brain going on. Actually, I didn't really ask you about your January blues. How is January t- treating you? Yeah, fine. Isn't today the saddest day of the year or something? Oh, Blue Monday. Isn't that a thing? Yeah, I guess so. I feel like I've had sadder Mondays than this, but... Uh, this oh, is... yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some terrible things happen, like, in the course of my life that didn't happen today. Right. Like, the saddest thing that happened to me today was I saw Boy in the Heron yesterday and thought it was merely fine, and was thinking about that and thinking, oh, that was a shame that I didn't like it more. That was the saddest thing that happened to <laughs> That's not too bad, really. What's the saddest thing that happened to me today? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this actually, this is a several-day sadness now, but my new favourite sandwich joint in Bath is Taylor's Bagels, and basically they have re- they have renovated. It's like a fancy bagel shop. It's like a fist of bread, basically. Like It's like eight quid for a bagel. It's a serious business, you know? And they have, like been threatening to reopen i went like last thursday i think it went last thursday and friday and they still weren't open and it turned out it was like saturday they were opening and then i forgot they're closed on monday so they're not open today that's quite a little walk from your flat yeah but i like to do uh i try and do uh not to get too into it but i try and do like 30 heart points on the old google fitness uh every every <laughs> lunchtime so uh okay. yeah so i don't mind doing that it's like it's almost a mile yeah so uh a power walk over there it's a very exciting life i live matthew so uh yeah but the bagel shop was closed that was the saddest thing happened to me today i can think of sadder mondays in recent history <laughs> that yeah that really topped that one of my colleagues lives ab- above taylor's bagels all oh, right really which i think would be terrible for me to be that close <laughs> to that it's a bit like the velvetizer where i said it was like having my own meth lab but i think having a huge bagel shop underneath me would be even worse than a <laughs> meth lab it's probably more like the relationship between the palace and the evil temple in Temple of Doom, <laughs> you know, where you just go downstairs and some like really evil carb shit's happening. <laughs> I'm not pulling my heart out. I'm just clogging it with crap. Wow, I didn't even know there was like a, an apartment above there. It's true because they make their own bagels, so you would have the waft of like warm bread constantly. I couldn't work from home. Yeah, I'd be like, I have to get away. I have to go have a pret in like the city or whatever. All your clothes, it would it would just become infused in all your clothes, and everywhere you walked, people would be like, that person smells of bagels. Now, is that a good or bad thing? I don't. There are worse smells for sure. Like when I was in Japan, I got this, I guess, slightly embarrassing uh, Mount Fuji t-shirt from Uniqlo. And I fried a steak last week and it just smelled of sirloin for like, you know, like I'm talking like, like, well, basically till I washed it. It was just like, I didn't realize that beef could just soak in like that into clothes. That was a very unfortunate moment for me. So, uh, yeah, okay. A kind of weird little January so far. Hey, this is an interesting thing for you, Matthew. This is the first podcast I've recorded where I'm wearing glasses. I, I mean, I know the listeners can't hear that. But... I thought you were going to say clothes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm fully clothed. That's quite rare, actually, that I've got trousers on to record one of these. So, uh, you know, but that's that's January for you. It's very, really fucking cold in Bath. So uh, it Wait, is what it is. you sometimes record these without wearing trousers? Yeah, I wear underpants. I'm not, like, you know, bare-bottomed or anything. But I'm just, you know... Wait, 
For real? Like you're sitting there in your pants? Yeah, well, with a, with a t-shirt, yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's just my hanging... That's weird. That's... There's nothing erotic about it. It's just, it's functional, isn't it? It's like pyjamas, basically, because we normally record this in the morning, don't we? So, 10 a.m. 10 oh, a.m. Right. Are you fully dressed at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings? That's not my vibe I get fully dressed for the podcast. Do like you I really? Like I going to work. Damn. That's like got big sort of like... Dress for the job you want. Dress for the podcast you want to host. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a podcast that's like famously well-dressed, I don't really know. But uh, I feel like I've really appalled you with that information. So. I'm just thinking back on all those takes and just imagining coming from a man in his pants. It, they do, do seem less credible suddenly, don't they? Like, it's, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like, if I if you know that now, can you take anything I've ever said seriously? I'm not sure you can. So that's, uh... Just cut to a man in his pants going, fuck, I just lost TIE Fighter. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a... like, I think you've got bigger problems, my man. <laughs> uh, yep, so some uh, shocking news there on the law of the wow. podcast. That's completely rewritten everything. Let's just assume from now on I'll, I'll wear trousers to the podcast. Just to, Bullshit, uh... but fine. <laughs> well, you know, at least pyjama bottoms. Is that fine? It's like all like sweatpants. Is that acceptable? They kind of trousers, don't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm wearing like tracksuit bottoms, like hooker pants. Um, right. Uh, you know, like hooker, like the the, the Nordic... You know, hooker. Yeah, those are just, just words I never thought I'd hear coming out of you. So well, that's well, well, Catherine always refers to them as hooker pants, so I'm assuming that's what they're called. Anyway, I feel like we've really buried that you've got uh, uh, glasses. <laughs> yeah, I've got glasses. That's basically it. I'm wearing glasses well, now because uh, my eyesight has been fucked for a long time. So uh, tell you what, I'm really shocked to learn that video games look pretty good. I was like, I popped them on. <laughs> Just played a bunch of things on uh, my Xbox, and I was like, "Wow, I I can't believe how bright and shiny this looks." It's just wow. So uh, this yep. explains why you go back to every review you've written in the last ten years, and in the pros and cons in the score box, you're like very blurry. <laughs> yeah, it looks very like blurry again, again, yeah. a very blurry 4K game. Games have got to stop using this Vaseline filter. That's kind of like my uh, my thing. Uh, yeah, okay, so uh, that's fun. All right, this episode then. We've got a bunch of games to get through for the what we've been playing. Um, I would say there's a big sort of like January energy to to the list of games here. There's, you know, there's not much out yet. Me and Matthew try and keep on top of like new releases, but and there are a few of those in here. But um, I would say that in general, there's a, a little bit of January energy to the selection. Do you think that's fair, Matthew? Yeah, I think that's fair. A little bit of January energy, a tiny bit of glimpsing to the future, glimpsing towards the exciting future. Well, that's it. Matthew's just got the inside track on uh, so many more games than me, as uh, as will become clear in this episode, and has been clear, I think, for the last year, really, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless. So, Matthew, let's kick off then uh, with The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered. So, uh, you know, a really interesting one to revisit because... You know, there was a obviously there was a, a a redo of The Last of Us last year that was very extensive. This game does not really require the same facelift because it already looked yeah. pretty good on PS4. And then when they brought when the PS5 came out, they patched it with a 60 FPS patch, which is how I played it, which is a really nice way to experience it. I understand there's some other interesting bits and pieces to go along with this one. So, uh, what's the deal? How come you decided to, to to give this another go? It's such a long game, such a relentless game, and I know you weren't like the the biggest fan of it when it released. So, what's the deal? In truth, I booted up just to see if uh, if it looked radically different to how I remembered it, and it doesn't. Like you say, it's it's on par to my eyes with what the original looked like at 60 frames on PS5 anyway, but it was already an amazing looking game, so that, that's that's not really a thing. But yeah, I, I played an hour to see how it looked, and then I found myself playing two hours, three hours, four hours, and uh, 
yeah, the next thing I know, it, it pulled me through all the way to the end and I played about 30 hours of it again. More testament to the kind of relentless pace of that game and the way it pulls you into constantly new twists on encounters. I think there are two headlines to this game. One of them is playing it a second time once you know what's coming and you're not thinking too heavily or as heavily about the story developments as they as they happen and you have a better idea of like where you are in the campaign and how the game behaves i think you can just enjoy it more on a stealth mechanics level you know i was less hung up on oh my god i've got to look after every single one of these things because i kind of understand the economy of the game a bit better i know that it gives you lots of stuff for crafting and so actually i could kind of throw ellie and abby at these mad situations and kind of just appreciate more the sandbox that they built and i guess the uh, the second headline is that along with the, the slight visual upgrades there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that they've added to this director's commentaries on all the cinematics and there's three levels lost levels they call them which were levels that were cut from the original game and you get to play them in their sort of semi-unfinished form hilariously an unfinished naughty dog level still looks and behaves much better than most finished games which is quite galling i would imagine for other developers but they each begin with neil Druckmann on camera going what you're about to see is basically a horrible piece of shit so don't think of it as like the final game and then you play it and it's just really very fine you know (laughs) Uh, so yeah it sucks to be everyone else but that side of the game that's been great you know i'd kind of liken it to it's like an excellent dvd special edition as they used to be like just going in there hearing all these stories there's a fair amount of actually back patting going on any of the cutscenes which has got troy baker there's a lot of talk about like the craft but when he isn't around which spoiler alert is most of this game you can just hear them talking about the technical craft or little decisions that were made or little insights into just the the naughty dog process and that side of it's been fascinating and considering you can get this remastered version as an upgrade to the ps4 you can pay 10 quid if you own the ps4 game and get this ps5 version like it's probably worth it just for the behind the scenes stuff i would say if you are into that side of how the sausage is made kind of side of gaming yeah interesting so uh yeah i don't think i can't think of anything like this where where they've done a sort of like off cut of a level because the weird thing is that you know levels in last of us 2 are kind of like continuous they're continuous they can last for like you know around 45 minutes or an hour so the idea yeah. of like these individual chunks of them is quite odd and like, 3d games in particular i know i can remember i can't remember if it's sonic one or two where there's like a, a lost level they added back into it for like more recent editions i think that was something that, that happened about 10 years ago right i vaguely recall that but i don't think anything like this has really happened in with like 3D big budget games. So it's quite a yeah. interesting thing. What are those levels like, Matthew? As like in terms of like how long uh, they actually, last? Very, very like the um uh the the Sonic cut levels. One of them is Dr. Robotnik's Mad Acid Factory. <laughs> so um that was wild. I can see where they cut it. It just doesn't sit anywhere in in those emotional arts. Yeah, in, in downtown Seattle it was a bit of a weird <laughs> yeah. uh, total. Uh I yeah. don't know if you remember there's a bit where 
I think you, when you're on the way to the hospital as Ellie, she gets pushed out of a window and then moves down a river and then kind of washes up near the hospital. Yeah. One of the levels takes place during that trip. She gets washed into the sewers and then there's a level in the sewers, mm. which was cut. So you then emerge at the hospital. You wouldn't notice the cut in, in the original game. And the other two levels, they're actually in that kind of end section at the farmhouse, establishing more emotional beats they kind of cover ellie trying to sort of settle into home life i guess they're more story beats rather than like complicated action levels but you can kind of understand why they cut them they just slowed the game down way too much um but what's really interesting is that you play these levels and they're dotted with commentary uh points themselves and even for these bits they cut you can hear like how they went through like seven, eight iterations and the challenges that they were trying to deal with in each one. So like one of them is about hunting an animal and basically the whole kind of commentary journey through the level is talking about the struggles with the animal AI and making it realistic. It's kind of a riff on the deer hunt from the first game. Right. Um, but with a boar instead, they have all these problems, they come up with solutions but they still cut it, you know, and it, it's that level of like, even the stuff that doesn't make it has been through so many parts of the kind of overall process. A lot of these things get cut for the broad. It just slowed the narrative pace. Mm. Naughty Dog, I'd say, are like a reasonably open. I'm sure I've said this before. If you watch any of their GDC talks, they're absolutely amazing. There's a great one on like the uh, open world section of... Um, uncharted lost legacy where they talk about how to kind of pace a narrative where you can go in many different directions and things like that and you know i think they are open about some of the mad processes they go through but i'll kind of take as much of that stuff as i can really here's a here's a fact that you all love oh, go on. at the start of the game when they picked seattle they basically planned how they were going to use seattle uh by a sucker punch gave them their 3d model of seattle that they made for infamous second son oh i love that that's good and then they looked at that and they used that to work out how geographically it would all work <laughs> that's stuff like that i really i really like that's cool trivia i want to hear like the same thing when someone next makes a new york game and they just use a spider-man 2 new york you know that's yeah uh, that's cool oh i like that idea in the past, when we've talked about The Last of Us Part Two, I was definitely a little cooler on it than, than you were. Uh, mm. Did it not make my top 10 for that year? No, no, it did not. 2020. Uh, yeah. And that annoyed you, maybe. This was early no. on in the podcast. Uh, no, it didn't annoy me. It just surprised me. I, I thought it was like, I wondered if it was some kind of statement from you, because like the Ghost of Tsushima didn't make it either. And I was like, is, oh, right. is, is Matthew just, is it like AAA games with like wild excesses in terms of like length or you know oh. scope or like maybe they're overstretching i wondered if you were punishing it a little bit for being just so because just it's such a long game isn't it and yeah, um, I, I, I know you've still got some issues with the pacing from our recent uh, pizza uh, meeting it definitely moves faster on a second playthrough like i say you're just you're less hung up on stuff and and i think the game definitely benefits from being played at that pace i, th I think my big issue with it is the, the seraphite stuff tonally it's just one step into silliness a little bit too much and i know it's like fundamentally quite a daft game in the it's about like mushroom zombies but it's very grounded and it sells you on that vision of the world certainly part one sold you on that vision of the world very well and i found their their weird little island with their viking huts 
and their violent but perfectly safe sort of society too far removed it's definitely a game which is more interested in like the human conflicts rather than the underlying threat of infection as much as the first game the infected are you know they're, they're certainly there for most of the game and they get a lot of set pieces but it's it's way more interested in these factions and it's almost kind of like oh we've gone beyond the infected you know enough times passed where we're not bothered about it i mean someone someone put it today actually that everyone who survived to this point probably like has proven themselves a hardened survivor and might be less concerned by that basic like baseline of danger mm. which i kind of i kind of see like i think that's a, that's a pretty decent take but the yeah. seraphites just the idea that with all this shit going on you've still got time to like build this kind of crazy viking colony those priorities feel a little off to me still but like that's really the only place where i tripped on it i i you know i, I thought it was pretty amazing the second time round and mechanically like as a stealth game you know it's there's not like masses to it but it's so slick and exciting and the way it sort of sells the desperation of every situation and the ai is always penning you in but in this quite organic way i i thought that was that was really good had as much fun picking off some of these levels as i did villages in phantom pain you know like it's 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 almost that slick as a stealth game yeah i think that's that is the other big thing i had is that i think it you know it it relative to the first one is kind of what uncharted 4 is relative to the rest of those games you know it's that real step forward in terms of like i feel like i'm playing a best-in-class version of this genre as opposed to something maybe where it's a little bit rougher around the edges like i didn't think the original last of us had like incredible um stealth or like a, or, or amazing set pieces uh, or I, I think this game is just a much more accomplished well-rounded stealth game and um mm. and action game and like it's it's really good at both those things and it's it's really good at empowering you as a player it feels fair as well it feels exciting when it goes wrong it doesn't mm. yeah I, I i didn't find it i didn't really find it frustrating there's definitely some bits later in the game where it gets trickier and maybe i found those sections a little a little bit more i don't want to say overly difficult but just you know it just they just they find ways to just like ratchet up the sort of tension and like the and what the what the enemies have at their disposal to sort of like see off some of your the tactics you get used to using and in the very last section of the game i think they take it to its logical conclusion and you realize there's nowhere further they can really take the stealth design of the game mm. but that's okay i think it's like i think it's just it's just really what nicely done and you get the, you just get the feeling they they just explore everything you can do with those mechanics and it's uh it's just yeah it's just, it's just really cool and there's just some you just sometimes go into a wide open space and you see loads of people stretched out in the distance or like you know what's around this corner going down the street and there's more enemies and you just realize you're covering like what feel like square miles of enemies you right. know what I mean? as you're kind of making your way through the city really really cool um, yeah, 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 and then punctuated by those big kind of more scripted naughty dog moments as well, you know. So it's it's a nice, I think it's a nice balance. It's, I think it's a, I think it's a masterpiece. I think I I liked it more than you did, but um, yeah, I don't know if I'd re- I don't think I'm ready to revisit it though. It was only two years ago for me, so um, maybe yeah, a bit more time maybe, you know. Uh, revisiting it, you know, just a year after replaying 
part one was definitely to its benefit because you realize how many of the mechanics aren't in part one she's so kind of like lithe the way she can throw herself around and very quickly go prone and then suddenly you're scampering under something it really sort of sells you as this kind of like nasty malicious little murderer yeah. kind of legging it around stabbing people up um animalistic you know yeah but sort it's... Of, yeah scrawny kind of like uh you know, like starved predator or something you know yeah yeah, yeah that's it's, it's it's yeah very very nicely done i um i rate it a lot and i'd say if you've not played it you know i think they i think it sells this game is going to sell new for like 45 quid or something which which seems fair for one of the better games of the last few years um and like i said it, it probably if you go out and bought a pre-owned version of this and then paid tenor to update it that's probably the the route to take i'd say yeah and that's like you know you know the market's flooded with copies of that game yeah. it sold so many copies so yeah i think that's um i think that's pretty fair i think it's just the key thing is i really do think it's like for them it's can we get this game on best buy shelves or walmart shelves in the u.s do you know what i mean so mm. if like people who have seen the tv show just see it like it's it's very unlikely that a four-year-old game is going to be in stock now at these places on a format that, that is not for sale anymore I, I honestly do think that a big part of it is just can we get this game on shelves in front of people who wouldn't have encountered the game before so uh mm. you can see why on that level they've done it you know all the people who saw the announcement that caitlin diva is gonna be abby and they're like i want to know who this abby character's like does she look much like caitlin d oh no <laughs> <laughs> no caitlin diva looks like uh, ellie which is confusing yes. uh, <laughs> so yeah lots to lots to think about there yeah sort of like i, I don't I stand by how i felt about that show i just don't think it was it was all that apart from that the very sad episode uh with the two guys that was like the that was like the real great episode and the rest of it was i could you know it's like like replaying the game except you couldn't uh, actually play it that's basically what it was to yeah. me so uh yeah i, th- I think they're pl- playing part two there is a way to kind of slow that story down and turn it into more of a traditional tv show you know there is an ensemble cast to it like weirdly maybe more so with the wlf than ellie side of things but if if they decided to break it up into multiple seasons and like establish Jackson as a place with these kind of main characters who then become kind of side characters in a in a third season which was more about the WF side of things i that that would make sense to me i think if you try and do that whole arc in one season it's going to feel very rushed which is kind of how i felt a little bit about season 1 yeah i think i did too i was i remember when we did that pod i think we i think three episodes had come out and we were like how are they going to cram the rest of this game in and the answer was it's because they didn't you know like the episode in the where uh, where joel's injured in the in the snow the winter section of the game that episode did not leave any impact on me in the same way think about how much that people talked about that moment from the first game when it actually Mm. happened that people didn't talk about that episode like that they all talked about episode three like that you know and like i i get why like that you know that was the execution was just so much better and yeah it just felt like i don't know just it just kind of came and went in the tv show which feels like a sign that it didn't quite land to me like if you can't get the audience response that the game did then has it succeeded as an adaptation anyway there's uh i'm sure there'll be more chance to discuss this yes. um but yeah okay and i'm glad uh i'm glad you enjoyed it do you think actually no because i think at some point we have vowed to go back and do the 
2020 redux pod where yes. we do like hades can be put on a list and, and, st- and so on so uh we'll save that discussion for another time then if you if it'll ever uh, crack your list again matthew mm. but uh yeah okay i kind of want to pay the 10 pounds and just see the cut levels that sounds rad i yeah i wonder how much extra polish they have to do to get them into a playable sufficient state does um do they say much about that like are they just it can't just be as simple as oh we just dumped it on the game disc it must uh, have been they must have done a little bit of polish around the edges to make it work i don't know but yeah like one of them doesn't have voices in and the other two do mm. so, which gives you an idea that two of them were much closer to to being finished and then one of them's got very like unfinished canned animations yeah ellie moving bottles up to her lips and then not quite working like i said still pretty good to my eye <laughs> i've got a question for you can you think of any cut content from a game you like that you'd like to see added back in in a in similar fashion that you could uh what like a famously yeah missing... yeah like um, so for example like i'd be curious to see what the original end of mgs2 was before they had to cut it down after 9-11 or the bits and the tanker where snakes running away from the water that appeared in all the e3 trailers like and um, him escaping off the right. tanker i'd be curious to see those bits added back in if they ever remade MGS2. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, is there anything for you that you remember as like, oh yeah, a section that was famously in a, you know, in a magazine or something like that that didn't make the cut? This probably isn't the same kind of thing, but having heard Shutakumi talk about prototypes of Ace Attorney that didn't work with very different character sets, I would love just to see what that looked like and how it sounded and behaved. That will just never happen. But <laughs> just to see like a different set of characters entirely in that roughly the same situation <laughs> yeah always comes back to shoot kubi with you doesn't it matthew always um yeah there was um i, I guess like there's a lot of the discussion of that i still don't really buy into the the idea there was more mgs5 uh much more than there was actually released so uh yeah yeah not not so sure about that one and uh yeah the other the only other thing i could think of was the um the little island in uh, in in Dam in Goldeneye that people were fucking obsessed with, where you get like an action replay, so you could scoot over there and look at that little turret, and then come back, and it's like that's like I've that has had such a disproportionately large amount of conversation for something that was probably like made and then like half finished in like about three weeks and then forgotten about forever. So uh, I just yeah. want I want to see you go into that level, and it starts with a video of David Doak saying, "Listen." <laughs> I have no fucking idea why any of you freaks want to go to this, what is clearly a nothing burger of an island, <laughs> uh, but here it is and then you it's just like nothing it is exactly what it looks like nothing at all yeah yeah that's good okay so let's move on to the next game then matthew so uh, i've been playing marvel's midnight suns uh fresh release from the end of 2022 so i heard a lot about this at the time because i think it came out right at the dead end of the year so neither of us got to it before game of the year really did you ever play it at all three or four hours of it Mm. and then i just had work and life and it was clearly going to be huge so yep you were correct you probably hadn't even really seen the full shape of the game play out uh, by that point and yeah so essentially what it is is a combination of sort of like XCOM style turn-based gameplay where you control the character these marvel superheroes using cards and 
a layer of i guess like slightly persona ish like life sim interaction based stuff where you're at this kind of like weird big old house in salem massachusetts and um all the marvel superheroes have moved in they basically all have dorms there and you sort of hang out with them doing various activities fishing with blade having drinks with magic from the x-men etc etc <laughs> so it's a an odd little combo and yeah, so I, I remember like quite a few people at the time be like, oh, this is super good. But then it was like, it was too late to get to the Game of the Year episode. And then before we knew it, uh, 2023 and it's some relentless onslaught of new games had arrived. So I just kind of <laughs> forgotten about it. But it's had some like really deep discounts. So I think this is still true by the time this episode goes live. But it's in the humble um, choice at the moment. So if you pay nine quid, you get a key for this this massive game. Um, I bought the version that has a DLC in it because the DLC adds a bunch of characters uh, like Deadpool and Storm and Venom. I've only unlocked Deadpool so far. What is odd about it? Well, a lot of things are odd about it. I think is that it's like a it's a game that's got Marvel superheroes in it, and then there's like an extended period where it's like collect mushrooms in this forest <laughs> and then like right. and then like uh, it's like it really pushes the boundaries i think of what you would do what you would obviously do with that ip so like you'll you'll be do- you you know you'll have an occasional battle in the first few hours but what the game is actually doing is slowly drip feeding all in all these different elements like there's this uh this forge area where tony stark can like break this like coil thing open and it will have new cards for you to um, equip into the deck for each character or like doctor strange will break open this artifact that will have like all these different currencies you can use to synthesize cards together to make more powerful cards it's got loads and loads of systems it's just stacking in and stacking in but it takes its time to like show you what that full range of stuff is when it does Mm. you eventually break into this what i would say is a persona 5 style sort of like structured day of well i know i'm going to nip down to the forge now i'm going to go out into the yard and train with blade and then i'm going to go go pick some mushrooms because i know they spawn once a day or whatever and then go check my messages from these superheroes arrange to hang out with them in the evening i'm going to give spider-man a compliment um because there's a compliment (laughs) system in the game and all your all your different superheroes have like essentially their own the progression system for combat but also progression system for friendship so as you progress that more and more activities kind of unlock with them and they get sort of closer there's no romancing though which i think actually was one of the criticisms leveled at the game is you know why can't some of these characters just get on and i sort of understand because you know if you could romance any of them that are in there currently who would it be uh i can't, gotta be careful not to show my hand too much well i picked the female hunter that's the other thing you play as a an original superhero which is always a very risky thing to do but mm. i think it kind of works because you're not really a superhero you're sort of like you're someone who was like a demon hunter hundreds of years earlier and you've been resurrected to basically help fight the the return of your your mother this evil monster thing and it mm. just so happens that the knights of like you know the modern day are basically avengers so <laughs> that's kind of what right. that's why that's happened so i think it it works quite well and it means that you get to build all those relationships from scratch because it wouldn't make sense if you played spider-man and you were like go be friends with captain america or whatever but i didn't ask you a question did i i think <laughs> <Yeah>. like i think <laughs> i think like i, I, I mean like, i think so magic from the x-men is like the obvious like samuel roberts mm-hmm. pick if i'm like um giving my, the game away but i will say that i love the depiction of blade in this game you got michael oh. jai white the uh the actor who can do loads of like martial arts and you probably know him from the dark knight if you're more generally um oh. he's like one of the gangsters at the start that like the joker just messes up to demonstrate oh yeah oh look look at these old school gangsters who can't contend with this maniac basically that's the point of that isn't it um and, and thank you for that little bit of uh, dark knight analysis 
it's it's a great film. But yeah, so uh, but he just I just find like that performance is he's really charismatic and and funny and has like some some sort of like great sort of hidden layers to him i would say as a character so they've i would say you sense a lot of passion for that particular character from the writers of the game a lot of it's oh, gone right. into that a few there's a it's quite it's quite a peculiar game though i can sort of see why it didn't do mega numbers it might just be you know there might be a bunch of reasons for why that's the case like the time of year the fact that it's a turn-based game all that kind of stuff but i think it's because it just doesn't resemble a superhero game in the way that spider-man does or even like guardians of the galaxy did and uh, the avengers mm. game did it's just like it asks it asks quite a lot of the audience to go along with it but i think it's super good like the combat really accomplished it's a there's a lot of like using the environment like chucking stuff at dudes there's a lot of like um uh, sort of like pinging one dude into another dude and like creating these sort of like cascading this guy ping pongs into this guy and he smashes into like a sort of like a, an exploding barrel and then a, a bunch of enemies die and it's about like how cleanly and efficiently you can get enemies oh. off the board before more reinforcements turn up like a dude domino rally <laughs> yeah basically a, a dude dude no no anyway <laughs> i appreciate the effort um but what's what, what is interesting about it is like each superhero has a completely different sort of like profile of how they behave on the battlefield so blade mm. do- blade does have some like uh you know suck the blood out of an enemy steal their life and his hp can go back up and that makes sense for that character and he can cause a, like a bleed effect so characters lose hp over time that makes sense magic from the x-men who i keep bringing up it feels like a, a whole thing now but she can um <laughs> i feel like she was added because of what she can do as a superhero in the comic books which is she can open portals and so you can like ping one dude out of a portal and like and then appear on the other side of the screen then barrel into another enemy that sort of thing and oh that's good. that's cool and then like there's um she can also create like drops in the environment so just like an endless abyss you can like but boot an enemy into basically that's pretty cool um because her whole thing is she can like open a portal to purgatory i think it is it's um Ooh. she's quite a goth character they've all kind of got stuff like that like spider-man can do can zip across the environment and has this great chain attack where if you can ko one enemy or like if you can ko multiple enemies in a row he can take more enemies off the board than any other character basically because of how quickly he moves across the environment it just feels like they they kept thought closely about how can we make something a little bit XCOM-y, but it, it, it like everything you do matches the skill set of these characters and you play on the offensive more than you do in XCOM where you're often in cover and worrying mm. about percentages and things like that it's much more go out and get them and feel like a superhero it's really fucking good uh really really good and i've probably mm. got to i've played like 16 hours of it in about nine days that's that's quite a lot for me these days mm. so um enjoying it a lot do you think the the whole kind of setting up chain reactions between enemies and the environment do you think that's more the focus than are there mechanics that let you extend turns into like ludicrous kind of chains you have like quick moves where basically if you instantly ko an enemy then you'll get that card using a card back basically right Um, you'll get some items that well that's the other interesting thing you can do is that when you use part of the environment to hit an enemy to hurt an enemy that doesn't actually count as one of you using a card because you're not using a card but you do you will often use a move to get across the environment to do that but Mm. but there's like a separate there's like a heroic points currency that you have to be aware of as a player and what that means is you can't just like get a handful of cards and then like spaffle your best moves in a row you basically have to like build up your heroic points and then cash them in with the like the mega abilities are you cashing them in so 
there's a bit of a curve to it in that sense. Like some cards add heroic points, some cards cost heroic points. So you're balancing that the whole time you're going. So I think mm. that I think that means you, you just have to think about the game tactically and the order in which you do things. And yeah, there are ways to just extend your turns. Like I got a, I got an achievement uh, last night for like killing seven enemies in a turn that's quite hard to do but it's it it, it's cool that it just lets you chain together all this stuff because again that's not really what the XCOM experience is like except in very rare situations you know so Mm. uh, yeah it's good i do need to go back to it it was just clear that it was taking its time to kind of introduce its ideas and and um you know i don't have like a massive connection to whatever the midnight suns are i don't really know what that corner of the is that a big corner of comic book lore is that a a thing which is secretly very very popular no i i don't think the midnight suns have not existed as a going concern i don't think in the entire time i've been reading comics so we're talking 20 years so right okay I, I, my understanding is they're a very 80s and 90s kind of like concern which might be why jake solomon um was big into them that might have been when he was mm. reading comics um that's my guess anyway i've not read much about about that but uh yeah where this does have superheroes that are maybe bigger pools like your iron man or your spider-man do you think this suffers at all from where some of these games have suffered you know the knockoff avengers as opposed to the marvel spider-man people kind of accepted it in a way that they didn't with some other marvel takes funny thing is there's a big tone difference like it's going for i think everyone's identified a lot of people have identified this more of a saturday morning cartoon goofiness than a MCU mashup of like here's what Robert Downey Jr. actually sounds like and Joss Whedon's script writing which is basically what the MCU tone is so um, yeah yeah, so I think that helps one thing I couldn't get out of my head is that they're um (laughs) <laughs> that the way the iron man tony stark looks and sounds in this game reminds me of paul f tompkins the um comedian uh, so he's a bit like oh, hunter what's going on today and i just i couldn't, couldn't get him out of my head like there's an episode of community he pops up in and i just couldn't get it out of my head um because obviously he has a mustache in in real life as well so yeah there's like the occasional thing where you, i think like maybe a little bit of that but where it makes up for it is it's uh, it does such a good job a stellar job of capturing the way the superheroes behave in this like arcane sort of like card game you know sort of like you know system that mm. you sort of like you you can't help but go along with how they've done it because it doesn't feel like it's just lifting from the films it's a bit like okay we've made a combat system where you just have to send guys flying around this map so like what are they all going to do to send some guys flying basically and so mm. on that level you kind of enjoy it and like the situation in which your place where everyone's living in this house is so odd i think it kind of ends up avoiding many mcu comparisons for that reason the other interesting wrinkle is that the um spider-man in it is the same spider-man from the insomniac games it's yuri lowenthal um oh, is it? yeah yeah but it's not suggested it's the same version of the character because he talks about like you know the green goblin and and um the venom in the game is eddie brock not uh well, I won't spoil Spider-Man Two if people have not played it, but yeah. So, um, it's but that's that's quite a nice touch as well because you know he's like that's a, obviously a great voice performance. It's quite cool to have him here, but um, oh, right. yeah, I, I that think is yeah, interesting. it is. I think it helps as well. There aren't that many MCU characters in it. It's like it is an odd little mix. You know, it is like it does feel like 
we've picked our favorites or we've picked the ones who fit this particular combat system we had in mind so uh yeah um it's interesting a lot of people told me though you'll think about length that that is the main problem with the game that is so long there's so much of it and i can see it stretching out and out like i've the map screen you can only do one mission per day the map screen has fucking tons of icons on it so it does feel like to move things forward it's going to take a while so i can see why mm. that would maybe not be for everyone and that's it, very similar to xcom in that respect i think that sort of day by day management of these different layers things so um yeah but i'll I'll see how it goes because it's just i don't feel like there's loads else fighting for my attention in january and it just Mm. it feels like a spot on Uh, there's a lot of like lying in bed with the steam deck at the moment because of the weather matthew so um yeah that's (laughs) (laughs) the weather weather made me do it um so that's my main game a game from uh, uh about 15 months ago i hope it was at least interesting to the listeners who might have been thinking about checking it out there is a definite resurgence in chat around this game at the moment yeah like just today i saw jake solomon engaging with chat where people were saying you could have been playing this amazing game a year ago why didn't anyone play it when when it kind of you know quote-unquote mattered to play it he was like listen it's fine as, as long as you enjoy it i believe in it i you know i think it's a good game that we made so if you discover it a year later that's that's fine by me that is the odd thing about it is that it, it seems like it was just this flop right because mm. there were layoffs and then it felt like when they announced Raxus were like we're making Civ next was a kind of like immediate course correction of right. we're making something that we're guaranteed will make money that's what it felt like happened with that and yeah, so uh, it's nice of him to say that, but I, I do think it is it is cool for it to have a, like a, a resurgence, a second life. It's a mighty gift mm. to give that game away with that humble choice. I think that's like an amazing get for that service. So it's a really mm. nice thing to, to just own for nine pounds. Like that's it's it's really good. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's nice that there's been a resurgence. I'm determined to like ram it back into the discourse. That's my thing with it. So uh, oh, okay, yeah, you can use this podcast to <laughs> push yeah. it back in into everyone's minds. Yeah, I've been trying. You know, my limited sort of Twitter reach. I've been trying the same thing, but uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think I've sold more velvetizers than I have video games. <laughs> That's, definitely, that's my legacy i think you sold more copies of hotel dust than velvetizers but all other games you sold more velvetizers <laughs> that's what i think but uh yes your next game matthew super mario rpg which we both got for christmas yep uh have you played any of this yet nope i have not nope. I-, I failed to play it uh yeah because i finished another mario game at christmas i didn't want to like rush into the next one basically i've only played a couple of hours of this myself i, I i'm nowhere near finishing it but this is my single observation so this might be a short bit i can't play it for very long because I, f- I find it so simplified as an as an RPG, there are so few meaningful choices you get to make in any particular session that 20 minutes is like all I can take. In a 20 minute session, you might go to an area and fight the three enemy types that are there over and over again. And that may sound like all RPGs, but because it is so sort of stripped back and it is so clearly designed as like a my first RPG, I struggle with it a, a little bit. It's very, very hard to return to that especially given that nintendo has worked with that formula in 
the Mario and Luigi games and Paper Mario and done more interesting things with it or done the more refined version of it or the faster moving version of it. You know, something I really like about uh, particularly the Mario and Luigi games is I I think they're very well paced in terms of like there's always a new ability, there's always a new thing about to happen, there's a new enemy type, there's a new boss, there's a new story element. And this game, like everything is just like five minutes too long. You know, it's like five minutes too long of, of fighting this one enemy type or listening to this particular tune in this area. Or just the fact that the areas themselves, while like visually attractive in terms of the past that's been done on them, they're so simple to look at. You know, the, the pathways through them, they're so, they're so old feeling. <laughs> I, I'm finding that a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it's interesting because you are, you're quite, I would say you're pretty engaged as it goes with the RPG side of the Mario games. Like, I think that's something that you are, you know, I don't, I don't know about a specialist, but you know, no. you you like you know you've you've paid close attention to those games over the years and the ways they've got bigger. They've definitely got bigger cheerleaders than me for sure. You know, yeah. Like I I think they're I think it's like an it's like an eight out of ten strand of Nintendo spin off. You know, yeah, yeah. Where, where there are some people where like Paper Mario is their whole well Paper Mario Thousand Year Door is their whole personality, <laughs> um, and that's that's like an eye roll from me. Unless of course you're reviewing it and the Fantasy Critic League. Uh, demands <laughs> that you give it uh, a, a ten, please. <laughs> oh yeah, that is what you nominated, wasn't it? That was uh, yeah. that was funny. Um, people pointed out actually that I think was it every single game we nominated was a Japanese game in that in that uh, that, that yeah yeah I, I, that was completely but unconscious. Uh, but yeah, that's a you know Japan's going to have an amazing year this year, and also like I know all the kind of freelance weebs that review all these games for every outlet. <laughs> Like, you can just trust them to throw around the tens like nobody's business. Yeah, I was chatting to um, Jay Bayliss about uh, video game profitability, and he said that if I have to, I will single-handedly make Unicorn Overlord uh, profitable. And I was like, well, that's that's kind of like where people are at with those games, isn't it? That, <laughs> right. that game is destined for like nines and tens, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. So the other thing that you said to me, though, that I thought was interesting is didn't you say to me that you thought this looked better in the hands and it seems to look in the trailers they put out for well, it? I think this with a lot of Switch games, I don't know if it's just the OLED effect, because I've, I've, I've felt this way with things in the past with the older Switch model as well, mm. um, that often the resolutions they're made at or whatever, they're made to be played on the Switch, not to be viewed on my massive PC monitor or whatever. And when you put them where they're meant to be, they just kind of click into place in a way. That isn't a very sophisticated way of putting it. <laughs> um, but they just, they just, there is a, there is a secret source that doesn't happen. And the most famous example of this was Metroid Dread, which I thought looked really sparse and odd in the trailers. And when I played it, I was like, this is an amazing looking game. Like <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it, it moves so well. There's all this detail you just don't catch in, you know, in in a trailer. And it's kind of similar. Super Mario RPG has a, has a bit of that as well. Like the kind of odd art decision, you know, the kind of squat characters and things like that are still kind of a, a little creepy. But um, it just there's just like a level of gloss to it, and it's all so smooth and fast moving, and it's just really sharp, and the colours really pop. That might be the OLED actually. And actually, Metro Dread was OLED, so maybe it is. Maybe that's what I'm talking about. Maybe the secret sources. I'm playing it on a better screen. <laughs> no, I played the uh, I played Metro Dread on a regular Switch, and it it still looked really nice. So uh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, 
Yeah, interesting. Well, I will play it at some point. I tend to now. I tend to, tend to treat Mario games as like a, a sort of safe harbor in a when I've played like a sixty-hour relentless blockbuster game made for eighteen-plus audiences. I just I'm just I just need a bit of Mario therapy, basically. So um, right. I'll I'll save this for then, or maybe I'll try and chip away at it gradually, like you have, and uh, see where mm. it goes. But you know, um, I, I could see it was like totally the I think it's totally the right thing to do to salvage this as a kind of like curio. Like I think it's. It's interesting to give this a bit of a facelift and put it in front of people again because I do think it's probably aged worse than any other SNES game that was published by Nintendo just because right. because the art style was that isometric style that has not always dated the best. And yeah, I think it's... Um, mm. Yeah, I'll come, mm. I'll come back to it. All right. Well, uh, I guess we I should have done a tangent when you talked about Metroid Dread, Matthew, because I've been playing a game that's a lot like Metroid Dread. Uh, that's bri- a good tangent. <laughs> briefly, anyway. Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. So I'm playing the demo of this, so I haven't got the uh, the full game, um, full disclosure. Though Matthew has, is that right, Matthew? Yes, I have, yeah. yeah. Though I, I've, I've been playing other things for review, oh, which yeah. are time-consuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say the least, <laughs> from what you told me about it. Um, but yes, uh, so... This game, then, I think that it was hard to gauge what the reaction was when it was revealed last year. Because I think there was a little bit of like, oh, Prince of Persia's back. And then I think we kind of assumed it was like a £20 kind of game or like something sort of a bit smaller. And then it's kind of like it emerged. It's actually like a, you know, a £40 game or a £50 game. And, uh, you know, like it's, although you can get the physical version for pretty much like 40 or slightly less. So there are ways to do that. And, I think that the production values of it have actually taken people by surprise. It's sort of like, it's definitely like a relative of Metroid Dread in the sense that it is a Metroidvania-style game, i.e. you go around this environment with unlocking new abilities and reaching new parts of the world, exploring, going back to places you've already been to um, to, to see what's what with your, with your new abilities. Um, but at the same time, it's got quite a lot of like narrative in it like nicely presented narrative it's more so than metroid dread has has like voice acting and things like that mm. it feels like they've just it doesn't feel like it's you know it cost anywhere near what an assassin's creed would for example but it does feel like they've spent a bunch of money on it like it's a really nice looking game i've been playing on switch the switch oled and i was a bit like i was slightly wary because i um i was like oh you know not all switch ports in recent years have been amazing right and so you're wondering mm. how this game will, will run but it runs at like 60 frames and really smoothly looks fantastic just really like bright colorful lovely game feels like a relative of the sands of time uh sort of games a little bit there's like some sort of like objects moving around like forward and backwards through time to unlock kind of new areas that sort of thing so that's a welcome touch at the same time it's borrowed loads of like the best bits of metroid dread like the slide that lovely slide that samus has that just feels so fucking Mm. good in the hands they basically borrowed that at the same time they've added more kind of like slightly cinematic powers to it they've got like a because obviously the the prince carries two swords there's an absolutely lovely parry in it as well so when mm. you kind of like got these melee attacks you have to be wary of that you also carry a bow as well so you can do sort of like long range attacks but it's less powerful i think it's a really nicely judged kind of like uh sort of like uh, sort of reprieve for this series and i'm really keen to play more of it i'm sort of like I'm weighing up which format to to get it on. I'm going to give that a few more days, but I was just quite, mm. I was pretty pretty impressed by it. And the reviews have been super positive, and I can see why. It's just the kind of thing you want to see big publishers do more, which is just that sort of like what this is kind of like a a version of a mid level kind of like double A kind of game. 
that I think people actually do want in their heart of hearts and it mm. allows them to do something a bit different as well that's not just like a you know like an open world game or whatever what, what do you make of this one Matthew? The game actually reminds me of the most is Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate <laughs> in terms of you know it has that kind of metroid structure this obviously has much nicer platforming than that but they have slightly more fully featured melee combat systems than other metroid games like this has quite a lot going on beyond the slide and the parry you have air launchers and aerial combos and weird sort of you can slide and then kind of hit an enemy from behind there's the once you get i don't know if you got to the kind of the bloke who, who does like combat tutorials yet uh i don't know is he the demo i don't know but uh, uh i don't i don't know i don't what, know which what, what the demo covers I don't, so. I, I don't think so but i mean like I, you got to mess around with like the the tree thing where you can change the amulets that give you different powers so there's a little yeah, bit of that it must be nearish that it's quite near the beginning there's this the, you know there's this guy who basically gives you tutorial lessons if oh, you want yeah I, d- I did actually sorry yes i did yeah if well if you do those you you realize there's there's like a little bit more going on with the with the system and different enemies react to moves differently you know like heavy enemies can't be launched but you can kind of push them back and there's elements of like where you punt an enemy so you like knock them up and then across or you can knock an aerial enemy down then it comes into like knocking enemies into each other or onto spikes and things so there's there's like a little bit more going on on the compared to something like blasphemous say that then opens them up for boss encounters which can feel a bit more like jewels and have this kind of great anime energy it's almost like you know manga-ish the way they, these kind of jets of color kind of appear on the screen stuff it's really like elegantly done always love a, a big publisher throwing their weight behind metroidvania games i know that they're very well catered for in the indie space but i do like my ori's and my mirror of fates and i'll add this to the list yeah there's definitely room for the big budget ones that's the thing that's like yeah uh, they there aren't yeah. that there aren't that many of those specific metroidvanias so uh yeah 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 very and nice I, I love the there's that mechanic where you can take a photo of the screen and pin it to the map yeah which seems much more elegant than we're going to mark the map with like here's the green door which you come back to with the green power that's not a a gimmick i've seen in in other games so you Mm. know always nice to move the genre forward even if just a tiny little bit with a with a quality of life function yeah and it, i think it only has like uh, i think you only have a finite a number of them as well so you can't just like completely spam the screen with them but yeah i thought that mm. was i thought that was nice as well and it does sound like the the exploration side of things does sort of like it does have enough substance to it to you know to make it feel like it's not just superficially a metroidvania that is um, yeah. it fully goes in so yeah i agree like a great a great january release i'm sort of like the retesting my resolve of like not getting any games new games in january which is something i was trying to do this month but um yeah mm. um i agree cool way to kick off the year and it just apparently runs great on everything as well like what what, what more could you ask for you know um great mm. start Okay, Matthew, your next game is the not-at-all-controversial Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. How has this been treating you? Have you killed Batman yet? (laughs) No, so I got to play this at a preview event last year, about a month ago now, at Rocksteady. Went to Rocksteady, which was exciting. Had a lot of soft drinks from their drinks cabinet. (laughs) You'll be glad to hear. And (laughs) was really very greedy with the catering. (laughs) Um, But great, a great spread. Congrats to the to the caterers. <laughs> yeah, we got to play the first three hours of this. They then jumped us ahead and we fought the Flash. 
Obviously, the title of this game says you're going to kill the Justice League, but it feels kind of spoilery if you say whether or not you do kill the Justice League. Right. I won't say whether or not we did kill the Flash. (laughs) We certainly fought the Flash. I think it's a really difficult game to demo, which I think maybe explains some of the negative sentiment around it in the kind of batch of previews that came out. Mm. I think this is true of all looter, shootery, action RPGs, but they are games that, to me, only make sense when you start at the very beginning, take a character through it, are introduced to all the systems, learn what you like about that character, learn what skills in the skill tree you know, make sense, learn which kind of weapons you want, you begin to take certain routes through it. I think if you get dropped in you know, a slightly later save file where a lot of that stuff's established already, which is basically what what happened for us. You know, you're at a preview event, you want to play the game, you don't want to sit there for half an hour reading everything on the screen going, okay, so this does this and this does that. And that has been true of so many games. You know, I remember playing like Assassin's Creed Odyssey at a preview event where they put us into like the end game content. And you're like, this just doesn't make, I just have no relationship with any of this. (laughs) I don't know what this character, how this character is meant to behave or what these powers mean to them. So it's just a curse of the genre. I think these things are destined to kind of suck in previews. I actually thought when you kind of got your head around it and, you know, in the stretches where we had a bit more time for it to bed in, it was fun. Kind of Borderlands meets Sunset Overdrive. The way the kind of skill tree works is very Borderlandsy in terms of stat boosts and your core kind of powers and the way that you can kind of pile upgrades and buffs into those so that they you can kind of conjure all these kind of mad builds out of it, which is probably more Borderlandsy than it is anything else. But then the actual action itself you know because it's in an open world and because it's very kind of acrobatic in in terms of movement that's where i get the sort of sunset overdrive vibe from it also hinges a lot on uh, the combo meter as it's going up it triggers a lot of your powers in your skill tree so uh, you know the further your combo goes the kind of much the more powerful you become and so things really begin to escalate which is another sunset overdrive kind of trope you know it's kind of it, it, it sort of feeds you very well and there's actually like I, I was tempted to try and spin a actually there is some arkham thinking in this but it's quite far removed and people don't seem to be up for that people have made their minds that this has like nothing in common in arkham but that game was also like when batman hit certain chain combos he could do certain amazing things which inevitably led led to like higher chained combos Hmm. like i can see a bit of that in this like the way things almost unlock in tears as that combo's going up also it has like a counter certain enemies when they're about to do a very dangerous smooth you've got like a projectile that you lob at them which can like instantly sort of fuck them up right um which again is that this game's countering batman's counter like are they trying to add a bit of that kind of responsiveness into it maybe you think that's over generous there's something else going on in there though like it, it definitely has mechanics and thoughts of its own which i don't think did come through a lot of the previews i feel like people either didn't understand those or just overlooked them because it maybe doesn't fit the narrative that this is a bit of a mess but i think there is stuff which given time you know, it feels like you're going to be able to get your teeth into it i mean the movement alone of the four characters is very different they have very um quite tricky rhythms which isn't satisfying out the box but does give you the idea well there's going to be space to learn this and master this which i think is good 
I don't know. <laughs> like I don't. I don't. Well, as in, do you want a hundred percent mastery in a game that you're potentially going to play for tens and tens of hours? Probably not. No. You maybe want more mastery than you're afforded at the start of this. Harlequin, particularly, I I I really struggled with her. She's basically got like Batman's grappling hook, so like she can pull up to higher points. But she also has this thing where she sort of sends out like one of Batman's sort of bat drones and can grapple off that. And I could never quite get into the rhythm of that. Like when I played as Captain Boomerang, he's got the speed force or whatever it is the Flash has. He's like nicked that. They've all nicked something off a hero, basically. It lets you throw a boomerang out and then teleport to that. And that I did begin to click with. And you can get around the arenas quite fast. And it allows them to make the set pieces and the the big arena fights quite like massive feeling in a way that you probably can't with you know other games of this ilk because you don't have that kind of level of of movement so there's definitely like positives here but it is also like extremely easy to dunk on it because it follows all these trends which is just very out of step i'm sure you've seen doing the rounds the screen of one of the weapons which everyone was like look at this fucking like all the modifiers and all the currencies and all the terminology and it's like well a lot of games look pretty fucking confusing out of context for the first time you have to trust that the game will introduce its ideas properly if you play it in the way it's meant to be played but that stuff is out there i mean you can't stop that that stuff is in the game there is a lot of number crunching bullshit but that was in vogue once when this game was being made over the last nine years you know (laughs) yeah yeah i think you've done your best there to kind of like give it a sort of like the the full sort of appraisal of what everything it's trying to achieve and yeah i guess like to, to pull one thing out there the the movement thing i agree with you you don't want to master out of the box because you know spider-man it's about understanding the momentum of swinging around with batman it was about how you use the glide to kind of keep moving across the city i think you do mm. want you do want some mastery there for sure and that's part of the you know I guess like those characters, I don't necessarily associate Harley Quinn with her movement as such, but you know, like it's yeah, playing as super powered characters, it's something you expect to be in the game. So that I get the the loot thing is tough. Like it, it is true that the (laughs) (laughs) it's true that the world has sort of like you know the there's just been such a backlash those games. Like when people were angry about them when angry about it when Avengers came out. You know, it was like the sort of Destiny destinification of games i guess that's a terrible way of putting it but yeah it's very tricky to unpick there was no way for them to like strip that out of the game that's core to the game like all i can say is i'm gonna go into it as open-minded as as you've been yeah you know like i think that's i think i think you owe it that because the thing to keep in mind is it's still a game made by a studio that's made three of the most important games the last 20 years there's really interesting stuff in it it's well written genuinely funny in places which most games aren't how the the flash fight resolved really made me laugh actually there's the excitement of seeing you know rock city take their whole kind of creative approach that you saw him in arkham and the you know the batman universe to like the far reaches of dc like justice league opens up a whole lot of stuff in the way that every time you played a new arkham game you were like oh i'm interested to see interested to see rocksteady's take on this villain who we haven't seen before or that mm. villain there's a similar thing here you're like what is the rocksteady lex Luthor? what does lewis lane like in this world you know how weird is it gonna get like wh- where are they gonna kind of push us 
to in this because you know at, at the, the game like opens with uh, you arriving in the hall of justice and and it's selling you on the might of the justice league the punchline being you now got to go and kill these fuckers there's a lot like that in the batman games of glorified walk and talk moments i guess hmm. but like the foreshadowing and the setup it is is elegantly done and there is definitely the conflict of playing a game which has all this writing and character work and banter but then playing it in co-op with people on headsets talking over it or wanting to skip cutscenes or whatever. Those two things, uh, I don't see how they ever really go together. Mm. You can play it single player and the other three people will be AI controlled and you can actually skip between them at will so you can play as all of them if you want. And I feel like maybe that that will let you enjoy the highest highs of this game, which is probably going to be the story. Yeah. Then I don't know if when you start hitting the, the moment-to-moment mission content, which is very looter shootery it's very like go to this place and defend it for five minutes fight waves of enemies that is livened up by having friends there being funny on comms or whatever difficult thing to square really yeah it's tough it's been, it's it's a, been in like like you know obviously it's been d- development for a long time sort of... it's been in the public eye i think since the end of 2020 i think they revealed it properly so hmm. uh, you know i remember it was like during one of those dc sort of like pandemic uh live stream things they did and like i think they had i think they're the same one they were like we're making the snyder cut or whatever that's how long ago it was and right. uh you know like i think as well this game's maybe i think quite a lot about about discourse and how it kind of poisons everything and i'm, I'm not saying that like the game is like is perfect and people are wrong at all and it you know i demand people be open-minded but it did make me think about how the discourse can just like put you in a frame of mind for something and nothing can break that and how you get washed up into this consensus thinking like where you have you just adopt what that consensus is without really thinking about about it and then it just unconsciously affects you on all these different levels in terms of how you perceive things and i just think about that that's just true with everything like whether it's like a meme pull out people pull out of like a a game something like funny or cultish they've kind of latched onto or like just all this stuff that just kind of or like the the sort of like when we were talking about the last of us part two or i kind of circled back to the like joel was right thing and i was like well that's something that's only in my mind because i've like spent too much time on social media and like it just (laughs) but but i mean what i mean is that like yeah it's this game's just for whatever reason this game has made me think about it more than anything else because i'm like do I actually know anything about this game other than, like, I know who the characters are, obviously, but, like, the menu screens, like, that people are sharing on social media, <laughs> do I know anything else about it apart from that? And I'm not I'm not sure I know a lot more about it and, until, like, hearing you talk about it and, like, the yeah. movement and stuff like that. But, like, all that discussion means that people will never be interested in how good the movement is or, like, how interesting the movement is or how high-end the narrative presentation is. Or they'll be like, oh, it's the game with all the currencies in the top right-hand screen yeah. and the, the legendary fire penguin axe but or whatever. It, and like, ugh. and it's it's so cemented already, you know. Like, if you say positive stuff about it, people reply with, oh, yeah, but look at this inventory screen. And you're mm. like, oh, yeah but, I, yeah, but I played it for four hours and these are my thoughts. You know, yeah. like I, I, I've actually interacted with it. You've interacted with this screenshot, which you think summarises nine years of work. I mean... But yeah. I, I also don't quite understand why it feels like if you're if you're part of a legacy in this genre, it's still allowed. 
Yeah. Like, Diablo 4 is allowed to be that g- the game it is, which is every bit as convoluted and daft as this, mm. really. Like, if you took any of its inventory screens, you'd be like, what the fuck does this stuff mean? It's like, there's all these buttons that don't unlock until these things have been achieved. There's always weird tiers of currency. It's daft, but you're like, oh, yeah, but the, f- the fans like it. And it's like, well, I imagine those fans will probably enjoy this too. Like, I, I, I don't really... Uh, yeah, I, you know... I, yeah, I have to temper this because there's a chance that I'll play the full thing and it will it will be a disaster. Right, uh, you know, like I'm just trying to sit on the fence a bit at a time when lots of people are like, no, let's let's go on the negative side of the fence and kill everyone who made it. Yeah, um, and uh, it just I don't know. I just don't. I don't quite. I don't quite get it. Instant game to service now instantly equals we hate it when actually loads of these things are really popular and the quiet majority are just getting on and enjoying them it's it's quite puzzling yeah you are right i mean it's like the the games that are cemented just get to stay there like no one's like yeah oh, like, like borderlands 4 will be allowed to exist yeah if they make it that's that would be allowed yeah uh, but not this isn't allowed because it, it what because it isn't just the thing they were making already or what what well, you know maybe it's that maybe it's the the disappointment of like, w- would you like another single player Batman game from this studio? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> yeah, obviously, that, that is true. That is the other part of the perception battle yeah. of fighting, isn't it? And it's like, and it's true. It's so you know we are now nine years down the line with no sequel to the best-selling Batman Arkham series. So that that seems strange on paper. And then obviously people ascribe that to like you know uh, sort of like bean counters making the decisions, but. I still want to like go into it with an open mind, and I think you kind of mm. you kind of owe any game that a little bit, but it's increasingly hard to do that. Interesting to hear your take on it, though, Matthew. It's nice yeah, to hear a bit. Yeah, we'll see. I know I may be eating these words in like three weeks. This so. section will be deleted <laughs> from the podcast in three weeks. Uh, no, I mean, no, we'll see. And replaced with just a GIF of a fucking fire axe inventory screen. <laughs> okay, my last game then of the episode. So, Assassin's Creed Nexus VR game on MetaQuest. I don't think this is on PSVR, is it, Matthew? Like, I think it, no, no. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So, I think I assume that Oculus had some kind of like hand in it being made. Quite an interesting game in the sense that it's sort of like a compilation of the different assassins from across the Assassin's Creed series, but put into this like sort of like basically like Morena Baccarin, who you you may know from Firefly, where she played Anara, or uh, what else has she been in, Matthew? Homeland. She, she was Homeland. In, yeah, she was um, uh, Damien Lewis's, Lewis's wife. wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you, she's like very striking looking. You probably know what, who she is, like just from those descriptions. She's sort of like when you see her in the game, you're like, oh yeah, I recognise you. Uh, I know her from season three of the OC because, of course, yeah. Basically, like there's like this element of you're you're helping um, Abstergo to unlock some kind of mystery by going back into the memories of these different assassins basically like what all the plot of the assassin's creed games are but with more of a best of compilation feel and what mean what it means is they've translated all of assassin's creed's core mechanics like the platforming the combat and the stealth into first person vr gameplay so there's a <laughs> there's like a surprising amount of like chucking pots across the room to get like enemies to sort of like go over and investigate them and as you might expect like with these lovely motion controllers you can do the um you can sort of f- flick your wrist and get your hidden blade out and then just like knife a guy and then walk off which is Ooh. really cool. I tell you what this game is a lot like cuz I think the presentation is really nice. Like I think this is this is one of the sort of signature big quest 3 games where they've given it like a really nice sort of like visual 
sort of like it just it, it like well, it looks almost like I'd say looks looks almost like PS4 quality up close, but obviously the resolution's higher because you've got a headset on. So you're you mm. know you look really really up close. It doesn't look like mega texture sort of like you know massively next gen thing. But I would say it's a really nice crisp looking VR game. It's it's good. It's it's like yeah, I would say it's de- it definitely like ticks all the boxes. And the the assassin thing is interesting because you start as Ezio. And it's Ezio voiced by uh, Roger Craig Smith, so you get like the little bit of fan service of that. If you you know like that character, then you get to be him, and you get to be in this world. And there's like a bit of like going along Venice and going look at looking at fireworks in the sky. That's basically the intro of the game and that sort of thing. But the sword combat's really nicely done as well. It's you know first person. You have to respond to the direction of the swipes, that sort of thing. And then like it dawned on me, what they've made is a really fancy good Wii game. And that's right. that's basically what it is. <laughs> like it's all the things you do in it feel like it feels like Wii game sort of like gameplay. It feels like kind of I guess like a relative of Red Steel kind of thing. But at last, <laughs> but I I think that's pr- a pretty cool thing to make these days. Like it's it's like I think it's about seven or eight hours long. I've played about an hour and a half of it, and I I so far really rate the way they have translated the the different mechanics. I think that none of it is too complex, but. You'll do a bit of puzzle solving when you're climbing. You can add this, like if you if you've got like vertigo, you can add like this little grid below your um fit your character's feet so you don't like get sick when you look down or whatever. And um, <laughs> I think it's just a really nice translation of what Assassin's Creed does quite well. And like, yeah, it's it's, it's just cool to see something that resembles like a big budget VR game. Mm. But the the wee the wee part of it is kind of what delighted me. I was like, oh wow, this is like a parallel universe where. Wii games still exist. Uh, yeah, really, a really nice thing to check out on Quest. Not that expensive. Um, there's the old like re- referral thing you can do to get like a third off of it as well. Like I think it's a a really nice little demonstration of what you can sort of do on there. You got those like, smoke bombs and projectiles. Like it adds in gradually more mechanics. You'll you'll all the main assassins appear in here. Your favorite character, um, Connor uh, Kenway Matthew. Mm-hmm. He's um he's in the mix. So uh, yeah, I think it's a uh, just a cool idea. And then every now and then it just like has the sort of cinematic flourish you expect from an Assassin's Creed game, except you're playing it in VR, and it's just nice to see this level of, uh, yeah, like, effort go into um, something like this. So, uh, yeah, That's it's a cool, cool thing. Um, is it is it knackering? It's not really. It's not, it's not, like, the most intensive VR game I've played by any means. Like, it's... Right. It's like... But you do have to, like, do quite a lot of the... Like, you have to actually, like, pretend you're climbing to climb, basically. Like, you just right. put the controllers up and, and go up, but... Even compared to like Beat Saber, it's not nearly as intense. You use the sticks to move around, and then you can like look around the environment sort of manually. You can sort of like, you know, sort of like look in close at something, pick something up, look at it closely, and then there's a lot of like chucking stuff in this game. I like picking things up and then throwing them aside in this game. That's um, that's fun to do. But yeah, I don't... oh yeah, I, I I love a game which just gives you a lot of physics objects in VR just to like fuck around with. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was kind of there thinking. I don't remember Ezio chucking many pots to distract guards, but I like that I'm doing this. Uh, that's um, hmm. that's quite fun. Uh, yeah, just not not that intensive, but just a really nice little slice of Assassin's Creed, like built on a layer of fan service, I guess. So I assume at some point they might bring this to PSVR 2 with a bit of visual hmm. upgrades. But uh, yeah, I would think for people like me who are just looking for things to play on Quest, side note, 
because <laughs> I wear glasses now. I basically just and and you can like you can basically wear glasses while using the Quest Three. It's one of the ways in which they design the headset. Mm. But I felt very much like a Clockwork Orange, where that guy's eyes are just like sort of like um, Alex's eyes are just held open basically while he's watching the propaganda <laughs> film. That's how I felt a little bit with my glasses on. I felt very very close to the action. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a yeah that's a cool little thing I've played oh. Matthew. So uh, what's it like hidden blading someone in VR? It's really nice. It's not that precise. You sort of like, um, I'd say like the motion of getting it in and out is actually like more <laughs> satisfying than actually killing people. It's a lot right. of like, I've, it's a, I've had a few instances of like my hands sort of floating. I'm like, oh no, come back here. I'm trying to knife you kind of thing. And then just kind of like going, <laughs> just sort of like swiping, pushing towards the air. Um, and then they just sort of go down instantly. It's it's quite nicely done. Like uh, when you like holster your sword, you have to like actually, you have to actually put your sword away. And uh, there's been a few instances where I've just like dropped it, and I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> not very Etsy. And Etsy everyone's turned around to look at what the noise is. <laughs> and like, sorry, sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, cool, a cool little game. I can see, um, I can see why it's sort of like Quest owners are quite excited about it. So uh, yeah, Ooh. it's good. Um, okay, you got one last game to discuss quickly, right, Matthew? The tiniest uh, shout out for Foam Stars, which is the PlayStation exclusive. It's Square Enix game sort of 4v4 competitive shooter which a lot of people saw and went oh this is just a splatoon ripoff because you you spray foam everywhere and it covers the arena like the paint covers the arena in splatoon and i too saw the trailer and went oh okay someone is someone's ripping off splatoon that makes sense to do that because it's incredibly popular isn't it um still yeah i played it and actually it's not not that splatoony like it 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 has it has its own uh, own ideas own things going for it the persistence of of the foam in the arena and it being like a navigational benefit to you in that you can only surf on your team's foam and if you surf into another team's foam you you know you move slower so it actually like makes sense for you to to cover the arena in your foam to make it sort of more friendly to yourself but the actual gameplay isn't like territorial control it isn't like who can foam the most arena it's it's more like traditional deathmatchy ideas or objective based gameplay like there's one where you have to ride this giant disco duck by standing on its head and dancing and then it starts moving towards the enemy base it's kind of like a tug of war between two bases which is which is quite good fun uh, i didn't mind it, actually i thought i thought this was okay and it's it's been announced that uh it's a ps plus game for february so you know if everyone who's got ps plus gets it as one of their monthly games feels like it's it's maybe trying to do a bit of a you know like rocket league or fall guys where you kind of give it to everyone and hope that sparks the kind of collective interest in it um i i don't know if it's got the absolute purity of one of those games where you're just like oh i get this this is going to work for millions of people you know it's it's a little more complicated than playing football in a car but uh i am i'm intrigued to see if this if this takes off and becomes like the next big thing yeah intrigued to see uh while i was playing it we got to talk to the developers you know you asked them about the inspirations or where you know how they settled on foam over you know but basically dancing around the this is a bit like splatoon isn't it um because <laughs> i'm because i'm you know a coward they were like, oh yeah, it's because we really like foam parties, and foam parties are like a big thing, <laughs> and he told this story about, the director told this story about being at a foam party, and seeing 
turning around and seeing like an old lady in a wheelchair covered in foam and he was like foam's for everyone let's make a video game i've never been to a foam party i always thought they were quite sordid affairs and i just wanted to check with you that i was like not right not not saying you're mr foam party um in the way that i'm not mr chips no let's not they're like oh it's nice and innocent like a foam party which i always thought was like students basically having an excuse to get incredibly sticky with each other in a dark room i'm nominating that anecdote with the wheelchair for the didn't happen of the year awards i don't (laughs) 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 that's my take uh but you know i i appreciate that that that's probably like they needed a really good answer that wasn't like yeah, Splatoon's pretty cool, isn't it? Like, um, they love phone yeah, phone uh... parties, and some slightly naive on such things. I just, I just thought they were. I just thought that was a sordid scene. Yeah, I mean, I've not been to one in my adult life. Do you know what I mean? There's never been like I've never been in a, you know, in a, in a. I don't go to clubs generally, but like you know, it's sort of not something I've encountered. So uh, yeah, maybe yeah. I think the what is interesting though is the PS Plus thing. I think I agree. That's the sort of thing that can supercharge a game out of the gate. So if it's the right mm. game. And it really clicks, and that's like the that's a really good audience to find with it. And it's been a little while now since one of those sort of like multiplayer successes has, has taken off out of nowhere on console. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, I think we're probably due for another one. So uh, yeah, mm. yeah. Maybe, well, maybe maybe it'll be this. Um, certainly certainly worth like checking out for a few rounds if you've got PS Plus when it comes out in February, whenever that is. Yeah, I thought it was all right. Just the phone party stuff. I was like. I'll have to ask Sam about this, because I don't know about these things. Oh, but... that's actually quite sweet that you thought I would know more than you, but sadly I'm well, just as you you've, you've lived a little bit more than oh, I Oh, I, I don't think that's true. I, thought, I That can't that cannot be true. I just lived in Bournemouth for a few years, which is a, a slightly gnarlier than Bath, but there were no... Um... I mean, B- B- Bournemouth is just going to have like more... Fo- like It's going to have sea foam. At, at, you know, at, at least it has that. You know, you are closer to watery action than I am here in Bath. Yeah, but I feel like that would have happened more at the sort of like bars I avoided in Bournemouth, which were like the what's the bar, the Australian themed bar. Uh, like I always avoid that one at all costs. That feels like somewhere where they might hose you down with foam. But it didn't happen at sixty million postcards. They would have got foam all over the postcards, Matthew. It would have been no good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Not the postcards, no. Uh, lots um, to think about there. Um, yeah, yeah. So there you go. You know, any listeners have any good foam-based anecdotes? Do let us know. Yeah, obviously the back page live show will be a foam party. So look forward to that. Um, yeah, we will be foamed live on stage. That sounds filthy, actually. That's just. Uh, Let's just move on. So, Matthew, the podcast is over. That was a, a chunky little uh, now playing. Now playing. I said it again. What we've been playing uh, to kick off the year. So, uh, yeah. So, I wonder if the next time we do this, we'll have a few more of the, this year's things to talk about. Well, I suppose you have talked about a couple of games from this year. But, um, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, there's a, a Suicide things... Squad will be out by the next time we do one of these. Yep. And as will another game that you may or may not have been playing. So, we can talk about that at some point as well. And uh, I don't know what I'll be playing, actually. I'm not sure what's sort of like on the horizon for me. I sort of, uh, I should Will give... you be playing the Another Code double bill that comes out <laughs> this week? Uh, no, I don't think so. But th- it feels like the sort of thing I would buy and then it would just sit in my little Switch box for like the next five years. But um, yeah, And then it would g- gradually gathering value on eBay. I can't think of a... Uh, but are they releasing it physically or is that a digital thing? Do you have to buy it digitally? 
Uh, I think they're releasing it physically. Yeah. Most first-party things do, don't they? Yeah, it feels like it might be a nice thing to wear. I've got loads of stuff from last year still to play. It, it feels now. like a thing you'd be able to sell on eBay in like 20 years' time. Yeah, I'd like to quite like to give the listeners... The thing is, Matthew, this year I'm thinking about doing more playing what's in my backlog than buying hoarding new games. Okay. Well, I don't know if that'll make for an interesting podcast. Well, the thing is, if you keep on top of the new games as you normally do, then maybe it doesn't matter if I don't do that as much. But um, I know it'd be quite nice to be able to like tick off Alan Wake 2 and Baldur's Gate 3 and things like that. You know what I mean? Rather than feeling like, uh, back on the treadmill, it's time to play Persona 3 Reload or whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of, I might do a bit more of that this year and have some old takes. Would that be good podcasting? What do you think? Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm always up for old takes. Okay, cool. Well, you know, Last of Us Part 2, I guess, had a little bit of that. But um, mm. yes. Okay, the podcast is over. Uh, we're at twitter.com slash backpagepod if you want to follow us on there. Uh, same on Blue Sky Backpagepod. Patreon.com slash backpagepod if you'd like to support the podcast financially. Matthew, where are you on social media? I am Mr. Basil underscore Pesto on Twitter or Mr. Basil Pesto no underscore on Blue Sky. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he's still not posting on there. Do you st- do you read Blue Sky at all, Matthew? Uh, no, because like I say, it's just Jim Rossingall. <laughs> <laughs> and me. And us. And occasionally you. Yeah, that's about it. Test, sort of focus testing your uh, spicier material before you <laughs> take it to the big league. Yeah, basically. It's highly embarrassing. Okay, and uh, I'm Samuel W. Roberts on both platforms. Thank you so much. Next week's episode is the best Sega games with Ashley Day, and the week after that is the best games of 2002. So that's coming up. And uh, yes, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.